Hello, and welcome to the Park Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor David Blakely. Our goal is to preach the Word of God in a real and authentic way, so you are filled with the Spirit to guide you through life each and every week. To learn more about Park Baptist Church, visit parkbaptist.com. And now, Pastor David Blakely. I want to begin by reading from the scripture that I'm going to use this morning, and that would be John chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, of, uh, born can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So it is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Now this is for many a a very familiar passage of scripture The terminology born again is part of our evangelical lingo. It's it's words that that we're familiar with. But the reality is, is that um, this is kind of a misunderstood scripture to some extent. And so I want to spend some time today on what does it mean to be born again? How does that happen? Now, the Lord's message really is very simple. The kingdom of God is entered only through being born again. It is, and the kingdom is comprised of people who are ruled by God, who, who have eternal life. And the only way to enter the kingdom of God is by being born again. Apart from that, nobody enters the kingdom. Now, the, the point of Jesus's analogy is this. Being born is not something that you do. You didn't have anything to do with your physical birth whatsoever. And you can have nothing to do with your spiritual birth. Being born is something that happens to you. Your parents gave you physical life and only God can give you spiritual life. In the spiritual sense, Being born again is an act of God. He recreates us. It's new birth. It's new life. It's new nature. It's new character. And we make no contribution to that process. To enter the kingdom of God, whatever it is that you feel like maybe you have accomplished morally, religiously, ethically, in terms of human goodness is immaterial, doesn't matter a bit, because you can't contribute anything to your birth spiritually. 
any more than you contributed to your birth physically. Now, this is a discussion between Jesus and Nicodemus. And I am going to guess that this is really just a, a, a small condensed version of the, the, the conversation. Bible says that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. And I suspect that they probably talked long into the night. That it, this was a, an extended, deep theological conversation. And what we have here is a condensed version or a, a abbreviated version of what, what took place. Now, the rest of the New Testament expands on what this means, and we're going to spend some time looking at some other scripture that kind of supports this, this conversation. So as we, we look at this, I want to give you a little bit of a, a running start at it. We're looking at the third chapter of John. In the second chapter of John, there are a group of people who, because of the miracles that Jesus is performing and because of the teaching of Jesus, there is a group who are beginning to believe something about Jesus. They're, they see the, they see what he's doing, they hear what he's saying, and they're saying, well, maybe this could be the Messiah, or maybe he is just a great prophet of God. But they really don't believe yet to the point that they are saved, that they are, are fully um, full of faith and understanding Jesus as the Messiah. And one of them is introduced to us here, it's Nicodemus. He, he is one of the, the group who he's believing something about Jesus. Now, in verse 1 and, and part of 2, it says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And so Nicodemus is introduced to us as a Pharisee. The Pharisees were ultimate, the, the ultimate hypocrites. They... Um, they were, were the, the leaders of the whole Jewish religious um, society. And Jesus blisters them in Matthew 23. He tears them up as being the hypocrites that they were. He calls them sons of hell and the, who produce more sons of hell. He, he repeatedly calls them hypocrites. He pronounces damnations and curses on them. I mean, he really lets them have it. Um, because they, they were telling people to do things that they themselves weren't doing. They put burdens of legalism on the people. They, they were living a lie. They were hypocrites. And... Um, one of the things Jesus says that they were whitewashed tombs full of dead man's bones or full of corrupt death. And Nicodemus is one of these guys. He, he had climbed to the very top of Jewish society. He is a ruler of the Jews, which means that he is a member of the, in our, our understanding, he is a member of the Supreme Court. They had what was called the Sanhedrin, which was this ruling group of 70 top leaders, top elders. 
And Nicodemus is one of them. And then in verse 10, Jesus says, you are one of the teachers of Israel. And so what this tells us is that Nicodemus is also a, a academic. He is, he's one of their, their top teachers, their, their top um, intellectuals. So he is a extremely religious, extremely educated individual. When it comes to religion, he is devotedly legalistic. He externally follows every little detail of the law. And yet on the inside, he knows that there's something wrong inside. He has no assurance <clears throat> that his soul belongs to God. He has no assurance that he has any forgiveness for the sin in his life. And he knows he's a hypocrite. He has no relationship with God. So he comes to Jesus seeking answers, seeking help. He, he has a concern that he's not in the kingdom. He's doing all of the things he knows to do. He's dotted every I, he's crossed every T, but inside he's empty. Inside he's broken. Inside he knows he's not right with God. And so when you come to verse 3, in verse 2, he basically, he begins as, as probably any of us would with a polite hello, a polite um, a nod to Jesus. You know, we know that you've come from God because, you know, you're a great teacher and no one can do the miracles that you're doing. But Jesus being Jesus, because he is God in the flesh, he goes right to the heart of what Nicodemus is really there about. He says, truly, truly, I say to you. And whenever Jesus says truly, truly, or verily, verily, or, or when, he, when he repeats like that, what he's saying, uh, how it translates to us today is pay attention to this. This is important. Understand what I'm about to say. And so he says, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see this kingdom of God. What's in Nicodemus's mouth is, we think you're a great teacher. We, we see all these great things you're doing. But it's, what's in his heart is, I don't know how to get to heaven. I don't know how to be saved. And Jesus goes right to it. Now, this is the worry that's in Nicodemus's heart. And in truth... This is the worry that's in any person who is genuinely um, thinks about life and, and God and all of that stuff. This is, this is what's in the heart of, of most people is I'm empty inside and I want something more out of my life than, than what I see. I want a better connection with God than what I'm experiencing. And, and I need something that I don't have. And so Jesus addresses that directly. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, what we need to understand is salvation is not gained by those 
who try harder. Salvation is not gained by those who live better lives. Salvation is not gained by those who become more moral or more religious. The kingdom of God is not gained by anything a person does. The kingdom only opens to those who are born again. And the Greek term here actually is born from above. You have to be born from above. And, and that's not something that you and I can do spiritually any more than we could do it physically. Jesus shatters here in one statement all of the stained glass religion all over the place. All religious work, all moral works are useless. They don't matter one bit. The truth of salvation is, is that the best a person can do is wretched. It's broken. It's sin. Our religion is useless to satisfy, to please God. Ephesians 2.1 says it this way, you're dead in your trespasses and sin. Ephesians 4.18, you are cut off from the life of God. So Nicodemus is a dead man. He, he is a, a blind man. He is an ignorant man. Despite all of his, his learning, he is a hopeless man. He is a hypocrite. And from there, you cannot get into God's kingdom. You must be born from above. You need to be recreated by God, spiritually speaking. And, and this is what regeneration is all about. This is what new birth is all about. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says it this way. If, if any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creation. Any person who is in Christ is a new creation. You've been born again. It doesn't make any difference if you're a prostitute. Or if you're like Nicodemus, one of the, the most religious people out there, everybody is in the same boat. Nobody is excluded. Nobody is too bad. Nobody is too good. Everybody is in the same situation. We all have to be born from above. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again. Now there's a couple of things in that one little verse. Blessed be God. We give God all the credit for being born again. He alone causes us to have new birth. He birthed us. Now, Romans 6.13 says, present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. Or Ephesians 2.4, God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our, in our transgressions made us alive. You see, all through the New Testament, we find scripture supporting the idea that you're dead until you are born again, and being born again is something that God does, we don't do ourselves. Now, I want to spend a little bit of time in James chapter 1. 
And in James chapter 1, James is writing about sin and temptation. And he's saying, you know, that temptation um, is, is something that God doesn't do, that God doesn't tempt us. And then in verse 14, he says, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Now, this is the part I want us to, to, to zone in on. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And it's the exact same wording as we see over in John chapter 3 about new birth. When sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. So here you have the fallen condition of humanity. The, the, this is the reproduction cycle. For those of you that you know, remember back to your biology class, you, you'd have to learn the, the life cycle of, of a plant or the life cycle of an animal. Well, this is the life cycle of temptation. Temptation leads to lust. Lust leads to sin, and sin leads to death. Now, it, it, the wording there is it gives birth. Just, again, the same as we have to experience new birth. So now in verse 17, we have the contrast. In contrast to the bad things, temptation, lust, sin, and death, we have the good thing. Every good thing given, every perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights. So there's a shift from verses six, from 16 to 17. Every spiritual good thing that is holy, that is righteous, every perfect gift is from above. And the same term used in John 3 for born again is used here. It comes down to us from God. He uses the term, James uses the term father of lights. This is an ancient Jewish term for God. Because in Genesis 1, it says God created the lights. He, God created the stars. God created, you know, created light. And so it's an ancient Jewish term for God. So what we need to understand here is that Everything spiritual, every good and holy thing, every righteous thing, every gift we have spiritually comes down to us from God. And that begins with new birth. In verse 18, this is the best gift. In the exercise of his will, he birthed us. He brought us forth. Same wording exactly right there. He birthed us. He brought us forth. And, and again, we need to understand this. That he's, he's using the same terminology. Sin gives birth to death. God gives birth to life. That, that's what we, we need to get from that. God's divine gift is the gift of new birth. And it's the starting point for all the other gifts that God gives. Romans 8.32 says, how will, we not, how will he not freely give us all things in Christ? So what we understand is the beginning point 
of our relationship with God is this new birth. We don't have anything to do with it. It is something given to us by God, but it is the starting point for all of God's love being poured out, all of his gifts. In James 1.18, he gives us new birth, and, and that's regeneration. This is, again, new life. Understanding the wage of sin is what? Death. Romans 6, 23, but the gift of God is eternal life. That's what being born again actually means. Now, when you are born of God, when, when new life comes to a person, there is a change. I already talked about 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that we are new creations. You are made new. So when a person is born again, there's something different that happens in that person. You are, because you are a new creation, old things have passed away and behold, new things become your normal. First John 3 talks about that. First John 3, 9, no one who is born of God practices sin. Or another way of understanding that is habitually continues to sin. Why? Because the person has new life. 1 John 3, 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. So again, this is how John describes what it means to be saved. You, you pass from death to life. You, you are a new creation. You follow righteousness. You don't choose to practice sin. You love your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and the, the converse is also true. Whoever doesn't do these things is still dead, spiritually speaking. 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another. Love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God. Again, same terminology being used. Notice that he doesn't say saved. He doesn't say justified. He, he says born of God. Because these are the characteristics of a person who has been recreated. So you, we start with this understanding of regeneration. And, and you look for proof in your life that you are born of God. And what you're looking for is, do you love the brethren? Do you practice righteousness as opposed to sin. I, you know, that doesn't mean that you're perfect, but the direction of your life is to be righteous, to walk like Christ walked, or, or at least attempt to walk as Christ walked. You're, you're no longer interested in the things of the world and pursuing the stuff of the world because you have a new life, you have a new agenda, you have new priorities that are the things of God. This is, this is critical for us to understand because we don't want to miss what it means to be born again. We don't want to um, be off in our, our thinking. Second Peter 1 Peter 1.4 says, You became a partaker of the divine nature. 
So new birth, born again, regeneration is, is something that God does in us. We don't do ourselves. We have no say in the matter. Notice in James 1.18, it says, in the exercise of his will, he birthed us. We don't do it. God does it. it. You know, if you read through the New Testament and you look at what Jesus says, you look at what the apostles say, you look at any of the New Testament writers, nobody ever tells anybody to do something to be born again. Nobody ever says that you have to say something to be born again. Nobody ever says you have to pray something to be born again. They preach that people need to repent and believe. That's the truth of the New Testament. There is no sinner's prayer in, in the Bible. They, they, it doesn't exist. They never told people to be born again because it's not something that there, there are no steps to be born again. Only God can do it. John says in John 1, 12 and 13, it's not by blood or genetics or by the flesh. It's not by sexual relationships or anything like that. It's, it's not by the will of man, not because you want it. It's, it's not because you desire it, but it's by God that you are born from above. John 6, says, no man comes to me unless my father draws him. Now that word draws there means to compel. And, and if you think about it, it's, it's no different than when Jesus was dead in the tomb and God raised him from the dead. God drags a person from the grave, spiritually speaking, he drags, drags them out of spiritual darkness. He drags them out of the kingdom of Satan and, and brings them into the kingdom of God. This is the power of grace. It is irresistible grace. And it is a, it is a work of grace that God does that's not based on anything any of us have done or said or acted on. It is 100% a act of God. When you think about it, think about Lazarus. When God, when, when Jesus spoke and Lazarus came out of the grave, Lazarus had nothing to do with it. Lazarus was dead. He was stinking dead. And he had no contribution to his being raised from the dead. And we need to understand that we have no contribution to our being born again. Lazarus made no contribution and neither did I and neither can you to our spiritual new life. So you say, well, how does it happen then? I, I you know, I, I would like to have that be in, in my life. Well, remember Jesus in, in speaking with Nicodemus says the wind blows where it does and we don't know whether, you know, where it's coming from or where it's going. We, we just, 
are the benefactors. If you go back to James 1.18, it says, In the exercise of his will, he birthed us, now catch this, by the word of truth. That's critical to understand. Romans 10.17, faith comes by hearing, hearing how? By the word of God. Repentance and faith come by hearing the message of salvation. That's where the Holy Spirit begins to become active and begins to bring life to a dead soul. Romans 10, 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what happens is we present God's word because regeneration takes place by means of the word of God, the word of truth. It doesn't happen in a vacuum Regeneration is part of the salvation process. Justification is part of the salvation process. Redemption is part of the salvation process. Sanctification is part of the salvation process. And it all happens in one miracle, new birth, regeneration. Now, there's other things that take place, repentance and faith. One leads to the other. There can be no repentance. There can be no faith. There can be no embracing of Christ unless there is new birth. You can't regenerate apart from hearing the word of truth. In the mighty power of God, he works to, to bring new birth upon the hearing of the word. He gives the gift of repentance. He gives the gift of faith. He justifies, he redeems, he sanctifies, and it's all in one miracle. It doesn't sprinkle out. It, it happens in one instantaneous miracle. But understand this, faith doesn't produce new birth. Repentance doesn't produce new birth. It comes, new birth comes, and then the person is able to repent then the person is able to have the faith to believe. It all is a result from hearing the word of God. 1 Peter 1, 23, You have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. So you've been born again unto eternal life. You won't perish um, through the living and enduring word of God, the word which was preached to you. Regeneration then is the mighty work of God giving life to the dead. And it only happens on the hearing of the word. Now, I want to go back to James for one final moment. I, I'm almost done. Um, why? Why does God do this? You know, why, why does God save any of us since we're all sinners and we all fall short? Um, well, in verse 18, it says, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. Or in the New Living Translation, it says, and we out of all creation became his prized possessions. In the Old Testament, uh, like in Deuteronomy, Leviticus, and in some of those books, it talks about first fruits. 
And the first fruits were the best of the crops, which were to pre be presented to God as a tithe. It was the cream of the crop. And so the first fruits are, are to be the very best given to God. And so that's exactly what you have going on here, is God wants a gospel harvest. God wants from all of humanity, from every, every tribe, every nation, every language, God wants individuals who have been born from above to come together to be his prized possession, to come together to worship him, to, to celebrate him, to, to give him their lives. John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. We are to be the gifts of God, and we are to be this 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 prize possession that out of all humanity we come together in order to to love him to adore him to serve him to worship him forever and ever in the fellowship of of believers with him in heaven that's the goal that's that's the outcome that's what jesus is talking to nicodemus about that you must be born again or you're not going to be in this kingdom. Well, my question would be at this point was, well, how do I do that? How, how do I make that happen? I, I don't want to be left out of the kingdom. I want to be born from above. Well, this is what we can do. And this is what any sinner must do, is you come to God in his mercy and in his grace and you come to him and say god i am asking you give me new life i understand that it only comes down from you and i am asking you give me new birth give me new life that i might worship you and that i might be part of your kingdom and jesus said in him him who comes to me, I will never turn away. Seek and you shall find. Ask and it shall be given. Knock and the door will be opened. God is a God of grace. If you understand the message, if you understand the need, if you understand the brokenness that we are in, then what you do is you cry out to God and say, God, I want your gift of salvation, please give it to me. Let's pray. Father, we so desperately need you. Above everything else, we need you. And I just pray right now for the individuals that are a part of this service, whether they're in the room here or whether they're they're watching online or, or in some other menu. But Father, my prayer is that your Holy Spirit would speak to each and every one of us, speak to our hearts. And Father, there are individuals who are a part of this right now who do not have that personal relationship with you. They have not been born from above. And Father, my prayer is especially for them 
Draw them to yourself. Compel them to you, Father. Open their hearts that they might repent, that they might have the faith to believe. Give them new life, dear Father. And I ask not for any reason other than that you will be glorified, that you will be honored, that you will be celebrated because you are the God of miracles. You are the God of mercy. You are the God of grace. Be honored today by a harvest of souls. And I pray all this in the mighty, powerful name of Jesus. Amen.